0: I'm Dan Swartz. I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor here at Emmanuel, and I have the privilege of sharing God's Word with you this morning. Uh, but before I do that, I would love for you to uh, stand under the reading of God's Word. And so I'm going to invite Mira to come up and read a portion of the passage that we'll be talking about this morning. This is Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God, is raised, that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are all guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope is in Christ, only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Thank you, Mira. And so I have worked in several different traditions uh, throughout my time in ministry, and, and one of them uh, after the reading of God's word, we would say the word of the Lord and everyone would respond, thanks be to God. So put me at ease by doing this with me. So the, the word of the Lord. Thank you. I feel so much better. It's like a warm hug. Okay, so uh, <laughs> let me begin by by saying this. Uh, the idea behind this sermon started, as many of my ideas do, after conversations with students. Uh, I I meet with students fairly often, and whenever I do, I ask them similar questions. I say, hey, how is your faith developing? What has God been teaching you lately? Uh, And an answer that I've gotten at least several times has to do with, um, with learning from the wisdom found in the Gospels on teaching and morality and how to live a good life. And while I'm happy that they're in the scriptures and I want them to live a good life and I want them to learn from the morals of Jesus, there's something about that 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 tugs at me after I have that conversation. And I think, that's good, but is there more than that? Because yes, I believe the Bible has awesome moral teaching and you should absolutely read it and get that. But is there more found in its pages than moral teaching? In a world where, where Christians who fail to live up to the moral teachings of Jesus are called hypocrites. And in a world where religion is known as a crutch of the masses by some, and in a world where we try and teach our children, our kids, to be honorable and to be respectful and to do what is right in the midst of Fortnite, lots and lots of Fortnite and football, is there more than morality to be found in this book? Is there something that's actually supernatural about it? Is there something that actually will enact life change? Well, when I originally started preparing this message, I was actually going to preach from the book of Kings, of 2 Kings chapter 22, which has the story of a king named Josiah. Now, it worked in the last service. We'll see. Is anyone eight years old in here? Yeah? Yes! Now, there's at least, all right, there's at least two. Okay, so you guys, eight years old, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. So imagine you are king right now. Boom. Tell you what, if I had been king at eight years old, there would have been lots and lots of marshmallows. (laughs) I don't even like marshmallows. No, but maybe you guys would do a better job than me. I would have been a terrible king at eight. But Josiah actually ends up doing a great job because while he's king... Uh, one of the parts of the Bible, the law is discovered and in the temple, and they bring it to him and they read it. And Josiah's like, oh boy, we're not doing this at all. And so he leads the whole nation of Israel in this big revival back to following God. And so I was going to preach this amazing sermon where I'm like, hey, if we just open our hearts and our lives to the truth of Scripture, if we dig into it, God can do amazing things. And you were all going to say, Amen, right? Amen. Yeah, and it was going to be great. And I was going to sit down and feel really good. But. I started thinking about these conversations I'm having with students, and as I opened myself to what God would have me share rather than what I wanted to share, I realized that there's a message that we need to hear first before we can hear that message. Because my, my fear with that message would be that you hear, it's good for me to read my Bible and so I, so I should do it. And that's true, but that's not enough. Or that you hear, there's good rules in here that I need to follow, and that's true, but that's not enough. My question for us this morning as a church to consider is Do we believe that the Bible, that this book is simply the best of many ways to live a better life? Or do we believe that there's something supernatural that sets this and its message apart from anything else? I believe God would have us answer this question by remembering why the resurrection matters. If we understand why the resurrection matters, we answer the question of why. Someone who isn't a Christian should listen to what a Christian has to say. And if you're a note taker, here's your first chance to break out your pen. We can see a path beyond morality and into life with the power of the resurrection. This is why the resurrection matters. And I hope today serves as a reminder that it's true. So let's look at the passage that we heard this morning and see if Paul has something to tell us about why the resurrection matters and shed a little bit more light on the situation. Uh, I'm going to jump back to verse 3, a little bit before what Mira shared with us, and we'll see what the context says. Uh, so this is starting in verse 3. Paul says, I pass on to you what was most important, what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Now, the content here is that Jesus died for our sins, as the Bible told us, and that he rose from the grave. But the emphasis can be seen in what follows. Verse 5, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I'd been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way that I persecuted God's church. So where is the emphasis in these verses? What is it that, that Paul is trying to get his readers to see? It's that Christ rose from the dead, right? That's what he says over and over. And without the resurrection... Of Jesus Christ. The gospel isn't truly good news. That's what Paul wants us to grasp. He says, without the resurrection, the moral teachings of Jesus become a burden rather than life-giving or freedom. And Paul continues in the next verses, verse 12, he says, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. And I know you've heard this before because Mira read it, but I think hearing it again is worthwhile. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case... All who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. That's a powerful passage, isn't it? That without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we were to follow the teachings of this book without that, that we are to be pitied. Resurrection is a central theme, not just in the Gospels, but throughout the Bible. And if we were to do a whole series, do you guys have like four or five hours? If I, No? Okay. Well, I'll just give you the cliff notes. So if we were to do a whole sermon series on resurrection, the theme in Scripture, we could go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we could see how God began to bring the dead to life. He began to bring order from the chaos. He breathed life into where there was none. We could talk about the fall of Adam and Eve and how... They chose death by eating the forbidden fruit, but God gave them life in the midst of that choice through the promise of Jesus. We could talk about the flood and the Tower of Babel and the Abraham narrative. We could talk about the exodus from Egypt and the exile of Israel and show how each of these narratives holds humans at the brink of no return. They're facing death, and yet God takes that moment and takes that death and breathes life into it. He breathes hope where there is none in a future beyond what they are experiencing and beyond what they could imagine. You see, it's that same story, that same idea of resurrection, that God can take the dead and bring it back to life, that Paul is pleading with the church in Corinth to get, not to miss. And he's pleading with us today not to miss this too. You see, the resurrection power that is revealed in Scripture and in the resurrection of Jesus, is essential. Without the power that raised Jesus from the dead, we end up serving a theistic God with no hope of actually doing what he wants. We seek to follow rules without the help of the divine, which is a hopeless endeavor. And for those of you who have followed Jesus for any amount of time, there are many many of you in here who have followed Jesus longer than I have, you know that it is difficult to live up to the commands that Jesus has given us, You know that we have been called to a high standard. Let me give you some examples. The command to love our enemies, or to not be a lover of money, to give freely, or to pray without ceasing, or to give thanks in all circumstances. I know at least I struggle with those. I do not give thanks in all circumstances. I stubbed my toe the other day, and I was not thankful. (laughs) Yes, it does. You know, we have experienced firsthand that these commands are not to be met just just with self-discipline alone, but require the power of God alongside us in order to keep them. And yet, all too often, if I am any witness, we do just that. We say, cool, God saved me. Now I'm going to try really hard and do everything he says. We leave the power of God aside and try to do what only can be accomplished in concert with his power. You know, this is the reason that, like, a true earthly utopia won't exist this side of heaven. Because we can't do it. We can't just follow the rules. I don't don't know about you guys. I love, like, movies or books that employ this idea of utopia. Because I love, there's a part of me that wants it, right? That wants everything to be perfect. And so it starts off and everything's perfect. And I'm like, ah, this is so great. What if life was like this? But if that was the whole movie, there'd be a part of me inside that's like, but that's not real life. And so then I also get excited when the protagonist is like, wait a minute, this isn't real. Or like, wait a minute, someone's bending the rules. Or I want something that's outside of this. And the utopia slowly falls apart. Because I know that I can't live up to the rules like that. I know that no set of rules is immune to someone breaking or bending them. And unfortunately, that is what it is like when we try to follow the rules of God without his power. How can we be expected to stick to a moral code perfectly when I can't even stick to what I'm supposed to eat every day perfectly? I'm supposed to be training for the Twin Cities Marathon and I can't even stick to my running program perfectly, but I'm supposed to give thanks in all circumstances? It's not going to happen. But that's what it's like trying to follow the moral teachings of Scripture without the power of the resurrection. It becomes a list of rules and regulations that we cannot live up to. And when we fail over and over eventually, I think we're met with two options. Either we give up and say, this isn't possible, so it must not be true. Or we say, you know, maybe all of these aren't relevant. And we pick the ones that we can follow, and we say the others are not as important. See, when you remove the power of the resurrection from the morality in Scripture, you begin to slowly inoculate yourself to the power of God in your life. If you try to live up to the moral truth that's in Scripture without the power of the immortal Savior, then you're left with your mortal body failing with mortal results. And yet we have access to the power of Jesus. Scripture tells us that we have Christ in us. That's why Paul can be so adamant about the necessity of the resurrection. Without the power that raised Jesus from the dead, empowering believers to live godly lives, we're doomed to fail. This is why I was troubled with students who were talking about the moral teachings in Scripture. Because if they leave out the resurrection, they're stuck with failure and they're going to give up and move on to something else. And I knew no one would take me seriously unless I quoted Tim Keller. And so Tim Keller writes, God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to the salvation offered as a free gift. The power that saves you is also the power that changes you. We can't say, yay, God saved me, now I'm going to go do this by myself. This is not a one-time conversation. But instead, we must try to live morally while asking God along the way, help me to do this. Be with me as I fall and lift me back up. That's why the resurrection matters to the Christian, to the non-Christian, because we will never create a utopia this side of heaven, but we can take steps in that direction through the power of God empowering us to live righteous lives. It enables a world where we're able to live out the commands of Jesus, not in our own power, but through the power of God. And I'm naturally a storyteller, and so application, I want you to figure out on your own, but I've been told that's not a good way to preach. And so I'm going to give you a little... I can do this. We need to learn how to love the rules and the one who gives them. Uh, Like I said, I'm a runner, but I was not always a runner. In fact, I hated running. There's still moments where I hate running. But it's because it hurts, right? You don't know why you're doing it. And as you do it more and more, you begin to see reasons of why you're doing this. Like, oh, I feel better. It doesn't burn every time I breathe. Or you talk to other people who run and be like, yeah, there's something communal about us doing this together. And I bet if I could talk to the person who invented running, I bet I could learn to love running even more because I would know more about why it was made the way it was. And maybe running's not the perfect illustration, but when it comes to the rules, we need to learn to take our questions to the one who wrote them. Before I was a member of the Covenant Church, Uh, I was a pastor in the free church, the evangelical free church. And uh, in the licensing process, you have to write this big paper defending all the reasons for why the theology is right. And then you have to go before a bunch of pastors and then they tear your paper apart and tell you why you're wrong and you cry. And (laughs) after doing that, they ask you at the end, like, do you have any, like, questions or responses? And what I said was there's some things in this book that are really hard. For example, it's really hard to tell people that if you don't believe in Jesus, you are going to hell. And I was like, if I had written this, I would have written that part differently. And one of the pastors in his immense wisdom took me aside and he said, there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. But you can't stay that way. If that's what the Bible says and what you believe it says, then you have to believe that your God is loving, your God is good, and your God is perfect in what he wrote. And so you need to take your questions. You need to take your concerns. You need to take, God, why did you write that I can't lie to my wife, even when she says something that I should lie to her to about? Why is it like that? I have to say, I don't know. I really would like to lie to my wife. But, God, I'm going to bring this to you. I'm going to say, I don't know why you wrote this. But teach me to love that command. And so I think, as students, as you engage with the morality in Scripture, you want to live a better life, that's awesome. But when you come across the things that you don't like, the things you're like, I don't know why the Bible says I have to do this, it's okay to feel that way, but it's not okay to stay that way. And so as you come to those, say, God, teach me to understand why I have to do this and to love it. As you fail, as you fail to live up to what scripture says, say, God, I'm sorry that I couldn't do this. Teach me and help me to live into it. Because we know that we will fail, right? Right? There are moments where we'll forget the power of the resurrection, we'll forget that we can't do this on our own, and we'll try and take the reins back, and we will stumble. See, the first reason why the resurrection matters to the Christian and the non-Christian is because it enables us to live up to the commands of Jesus. But the second reason is that our failures without the resurrection, they last forever. See, the power of the resurrection is bigger than just empowering us to live a moral life. The power of the resurrection says something about our failures and about our wounds. The resurrection empowers redemption, and that is what the gospel is all about. And so again, if you are a note taker, here's another opportunity for you to write something down. With the power of the resurrection, we find in the deepest of our wounds and failures, life. Let me give you an example from my own life. Uh, If you've been paying attention, you know that I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, before I was the youth pastor here, I was the youth pastor someone else. And if you've been paying attention, you know that I love being a youth pastor. I love it. I love I love it. I love it. I get very excited. Uh, and that's, part of that is because I love working with students. You guys are great. And part of that is because Jesus grabbed me and put me on course for the kingdom of God when I was a student. And so I love seeing students get that same drive. Not to be a youth pastor, although I hope one of you maybe eventually is. But whatever it is that you want to do, I want you to do it because God created you to do it. Because God has a plan for it. And I just get really excited about it. Um, And yet, when I left my last church, my last position as a youth pastor, I wasn't sure if I would ever do youth ministry again. You see, at my last church, uh, it was great. I loved the students. Um, I liked the people at the church. I liked the small group leaders. But as many of you know, ministry can be tough. It could be a lot of hours, a lot of weekends, a lot of nights. And when you work in a church plant, as I did, it can be lonely. because There aren't many staff, and you end up working alone. And honestly, although we saw weeks and months of fruitful ministry, I just felt more and more exhausted because I didn't have a community around me that was giving me life. And, you know, I, I told my wife, like, hey, I'm feeling kind of drained. And she's like, yeah, I kind of am too. And so we tried to fix it. We tried to, like, connect more with people. We tried to talk to a pastor about it. But all our attempts were met with failure. And so we realized we needed to move on. And we started the, the transition process. And unfortunately, that process went much differently than I expected it to. By the end of the process, rather than saying a happy goodbye, I felt more lonely and more exhausted, and after the adversity that I experienced, my love for youth ministry honestly felt dead. The, the passion that I have wasn't there. And when I met with Chris about the position here at ECC, I told him, you know, I would only take another youth pastor position if it was the right church in the right context. I really thought there was a chance I might do something else. I even uh, applied for a sales job downtown, and I the morning of the interview, I called and canceled it. Because I still felt this tug from God to say like, hey, I called you to ministry, but I didn't want to anymore. That part of me was dead. It had been beaten to the ground. And yet, the tug kept tugging. And so I met with Chris, and I applied for the position, and I started to talk about it, I started to pray about it. And the more I opened myself to the idea, the more I took this pain and said, God, this is dead, but this is yours. He began to breathe life into a passion that was dead. And I don't know if you can tell, but I'm pretty passionate about youth ministry. I'm very happy. I'm not lonely or exhausted. And that's not because those wounds went away. It's not because, like, that disappeared. But it's because the power that broke Jesus from the dead is the power that empowers ministry to students. It's the power that can take something that's dead in your life and revive it for the glory of God. I don't get to come up here and say, yay, we're sending students to Chick because I'm a great youth pastor. Yay, we're seeing students come to Jesus because I'm a great youth pastor. Yay, I'm doing great because I'm great. No, I am here. The mere fact that I'm standing here is because of the power of God and the glory of God. And I believe that that is why the resurrection matters in our lives. Because God can take the deadest parts of us and bring them back to life for his glory. And this isn't just true in my life. Right, This is the kind of experience that God wants for us. He wants us to live in a world where we can see things, wounds, and dead areas, and he can say, I can bring that back to life for my glory. It's because, well, before we get there. So, you know Jesus, remember that guy? Do you know that when he, he died and rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples in the book of John, he did so with the holes in his hands and the wound in his side? Have you ever thought about that? Why didn't Jesus come up and be like, look, smooth, I nailed it. Everything is perfect. I am God. Why didn't he do that? I don't think it was just to say, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Here's the holes to prove it. Maybe that was part of it, but I think it's more than that. Because see, those holes represented his failure to come down from the cross and save himself, as everyone was calling him to do. They were jeering at him, saying, teacher, save yourself, doctor, heal yourself. But Jesus was killed. And when he comes back, he says, see these holes that everyone said was a failure, that everyone said was my shame? This is God's glory. Because through this, he has saved the world. Do we believe that God can do that with our wounds and our failures? Do we believe that he can take the things that are our deepest shame and bring them to the glory of God back to life? I don't know what people are going to look like when we're in heaven. I don't know what resurrected bodies are going to look like. But somehow, I think if Jesus had the holes in his hands and in his side, we're going to be able to see our wounds and know what we've been through, and we're going to be like, wow, dude, you went through that? Praise God. That's the kind of experience I want to know is coming for me, and I want to see it now. Because that's what we see with Paul. When he pens these words in 1 Corinthians 15, he also says that he's not even worthy to be an apostle. This is verse 9. After the way he persecuted God's church, right? He says that whatever he is now, he is through the power and favor of God as a result of the resurrection. If anyone's life was more dead than Paul's, I don't know what it looks like because he is murdering the church and killing the members of it passionately. And yet God breathed life Back into that and he became the reason that i can stand here today he brought the gospel to the gentiles he took the gospel from jerusalem and spread it to the ends of the earth he started that process and how much more powerful is that story because of paul's past how much more powerful is that because he was the guy who was killing the church and so that's why paul says i can boast in my weaknesses i can boast in my wounds i can boast in my past because it's not me it's the power of god my life and so only the power of God can accomplish that in a man like Paul only the power of God can accomplish me standing here today and that is why the resurrection matters it allows us to live like God can bring life in the midst of death and it allows us to take chances in this life because this life is not all that there is we have hope for the future as well So if you're a note-taker, here's another opportunity for you. What we call failures are opportunities for God to do the impossible. That's what we saw in Paul's life. And if you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, that's what he can do in your life. The power of the resurrection is why the gospel is a compelling message if you're not a Christian. It's because Jesus, regardless what you have done, says... You can be forgiven, and I can take that no matter how gross and bring life into it. You can say, I was like this, but now I am forgiven, and I serve the Almighty God as a result of the power of the resurrection. And so if you don't know what that means, if you don't know how to do that, I'd love to talk to you after the service today. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this is why the resurrection matters, not just because it empowers us to live a more moral life, when we partner with God and do our best, but because trusting Jesus isn't a one-time thing. It is a moment-by-moment and day-by-day thing. As I said, we can't say, I I follow Jesus, check mark, I'm going to heaven, but instead we must moment-by-moment say, Jesus, I commit this moment to you. I take the wounds in my life and give them back to you. I take the joys in my life and give them back to you. And all this time I try to glorify you, partnering with the supernatural God who can help me to do it. This is why this is a Next Gen Sunday message. Because at youth group, at ECC Teen, we try to teach our students to bring the resurrection into every area of their lives. As we tackle difficult social and cultural and personal issues, we don't just want students to logically try and fix them. We want them to bring the power of God into it. We want them to do their best to fix poverty. We We also want them to be on their knees saying, God, we don't know how to fix this, but you can You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Show us what we can do, and may you provide as only you can. We want our students to be so excited about resurrection power and experiencing it that they bring the kingdom of God to wherever they go, and that's why Paul concludes this chapter the way that he does. In verse 30, he says, and why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour, for I swear Dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily, as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. But then he skips on to verse 57 and says, But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. We can risk ourselves hour by hour in light of the resurrection. If it is, more, it is mere morality that we pursue, we're going to fall short in the face of adversity. There's no power in mere morality, but there is power in the resurrection. And so your final note for this morning is this. Sometimes what one person calls a risk, God calls an opportunity for resurrection power. Risking ourselves hour by hour is something we can do because we have a power that is supernatural, a power that overcomes risk, and a power that gives us hope for the future. It is in light of the resurrection that we can invite strangers into our homes and share our lives and Jesus Christ with them. It is in light of the power of the resurrection that we can take students on mission trips to places that you don't go on vacation to, not because we want to bore them out of their minds, but because we believe God can do something through his power in that context beyond entertainment. It is in light of the power of the resurrection that we can freely give to those who ask and need it. And it's not by accident that Paul goes from talking about the resurrection in chapter 15 into talking about a collection for the church in Jerusalem in chapter 16. We are able to give in a way that feels risky because we serve a God who overcomes risk. Maybe that risk is an opportunity for God to display his power. It is through the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that we can carry our wounds with pride as God takes the deadest parts of us And brings them back to life for his glory. So let me conclude with this. Let us remember that the resurrection is not just something for us this morning. It's not just something we celebrate on Easter. But the resurrection is something we carry with us daily. It is a reminder that God can do the impossible. Whether it's in our wounds, our weakness, or our greatest strength. We serve a God who rose from the dead, and who is alive. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the reminder of your power and of your truth. God, forgive us, forgive me for when I try to do things in my own power and I neglect the power that rose Jesus from the grave. God, may you take the parts of my life and the parts of our lives that we are most ashamed of, we are most afraid of, and bring them into the light that we may boast in what you do through them. God, we give you the glory for what you do, not just in this service, not just in our church, but everywhere, God, you are glorious and we await your return. Thank you, Jesus, in your name, amen.